When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore and your favorite media. I'm your host, Joe Perez, one of several lore-focused folks from Blizzard Watch, and I've got my stupendous Bale Spawn co-host with me, Matt Rossi. How are you doing today? Um, it's kind of an appropriate thing to have called me due to the characters I'm playing in, in the game, which we'll cover in a second, guys. <laughs> uh, we are going to be talking about... Uh, Baldur's Gate today, not just Baldur's Gate three, which is all the rage these days, uh, and for good reason. And we'll we'll get into that in a little bit when we start talking about that game. But the legacy of Baldur's Gate in general, starting with the original game, its expansion, and then moving into Baldur's Gate two, because let's be honest, despite the gap of time where you know Baldur's Gate one came out in nineteen ninety eight. Baldur's Gate 2 came out in uh, 2000, uh, and now 23 years later, almost to the day, uh, if they waited till September, it would have been exactly 23, 23 years, uh, we have Baldur's Gate 3. All of the stories are intertwined, and that might be a mild spoiler for you, but, well, if you didn't expect it and you're a fan of the Baldur's Gate series, don't know what to tell you. Uh, that said, there will be mild spoilers ahead for this. We were going to be talking about elements of uh, Baldur's Gate 3 in the story, particularly in the first act, uh, as I think that's where most of the people have spent the vast majority of their time, because there's a lot you can do there. But there is a lot that starts intertwining and weaving the story together uh, and linking it with the other two previous installments, specifically uh, in that act one, which is, you know, for good reason. Now, if you happen to have questions or comments about this or anything else we talk about, be sure to send those into podcast at blizzardwatch.com. Uh, you can also hit us up on our Discord servers. We have a channel set aside for just Q and podcast questions. It's open to everybody. Then we have one set aside for Patreon subscribers as a way of saying uh, an extra thanks for supporting us monetarily. Uh, this is actually something that not only Matt and I wanted to do, but we know several of you, our listeners, wanted us to cover as well, considering Matt and I are both tremendously uh, 
withering D&D nerds at this point because I mean the time march is ever forward uh, but we're also really big fans of Baldur's Gate in general uh, so we're going to go ahead and talk about this uh, today so let's start with Baldur's Gate 1 which was probably the best received of the uh, but not the first far from the first D&D based video game that really was released probably had the widest it, spread of it as well at its time I would argue that Baldur's Gate 2 exceeded that oh easily yeah but for when it was released i think Baldur's gate one felt like a quantum leap i know it did to me uh because i i had played other games like i played pool of radiance i played like a whole bunch of the gold box games those are the the best before it was probably actually one of the the mistra games yeah which were uh, arcade games that were released in conjunction with capcom yeah. and uh, they were not very D and ish. They were just. They were actually more like some kind of weird combination of the golden axe and a, a side scroll beat them up. Which I will suggest if you are interested in sort of the history of the D and D video games, and there's a lot of them. Um, I want to say there's well over probably two to three dozen of them. Probably, yeah. There's um, a lot of D and D video games. But I, there, there's a couple of YouTube channels that have done some very deep dives, specifically on like the arcade games and, and Mistara and how that came about as well as some of the other what we call gold box games, uh, such as uh, Death Keep or uh, Iron and Blood or any of those games. Uh, Champions of Kryn. There's a there's a ton, a ton of games, but they were all different styles, right? So they were all generally first-person or point-and-click style-ish adventures until this releases, which converted it into a isometric adventure-style game, based heavily on the rules of D&D uh, second edition. So Advanced Dungeons and Dragons second ed, which yeah. was not what the other games were doing at this point. That's true. Um, but the game opens up with probably one of the uh, most more- iconic open. Yeah. <laughs> we want to talk about that a little bit. Go ahead, Matt. Yeah. Um, basically, I don't know if this is actually the opening of the game or if it's just the first uh, like ad for it. I, I have a hard time remembering for sure. But basically, the thing I remember is there's a person backing up on, on their hands and knees, basically, but backing away saying, no, no. And then this looming, really dangerous looking figure is like mostly in shadow, like comes over them and like grabs them and lifts them up off the ground. And they're like saying, what do you want, please? And he goes, nothing, you know, not a very lot, just your life and kills him. And it's sort of like sets up the main antagonist because that's Saravok, who's the villain of the piece. And it's, it's really cool and atmospheric, but it doesn't actually tell you much about the game. That comes when one of the would become iconic for the game. They have these long, like, it looks like an illustrated manuscript page with a lot mm-hmm. of text crawl behind it. And uh, they would continue this from BG to BG2 to um, other games in the, like, you know, the Infinity Engine series, like the Icewind Dales game. And they Planes- used it a lot too. Planescape, Planescape as well. Torment, yeah, but Planescape Torment is its own beast and one that deserves its own show. Absolutely. Uh, and we are going to talk about that at some point, I think. But it, yeah, that's the basic setup. And then you get the text crawl and voiceover narration. I forget who did the voiceover narration. Um, I don't remember the actor, unfortunately, because he does an amazing job. Like he, he sounds like you, you're like, wow, okay, I, I'll listen to this man talk. As he basically says, you know, your character has been living in Candlekeep for the past 10, 15 years, uh, you were adopted by a man named Gorion, who's kind of a wizard and kind of not. He's, he's one of the, uh, he's a hedge wizard. People. Yeah. He's one of the people who studies at this, uh, 
at Candle Keep. Candle Keep is like a huge, I want to say monastery of learning because I don't know what else to call it. It is it's, a it is a, a reverend library is really the best yeah. way to put it, I think. Yeah, and it's it's Which got all this like you know it's like they almost worship knowledge here. It's it's not quite that, but sort of like that. And uh, Gorion's been raising you and another person. Uh, I can't remember Imowen. Imowen, Imowen. Uh, who's kind of like your, I would say almost adopted sister. She's not really your sister, except stuff later on. But we'll talk about that later. But you you basically treat each other like siblings. Uh, yeah. You're like childhood friends. You've been raised together. Um, you've always had kind of a rough side to you that you're trying to suppress as, as the game starts and Gorion's like, you know, basically he's like, okay, uh, you're old enough now. Stuff's going to go on. We got to get the heck out of here sort of thing. Uh, and that's how you're introduced to your character and you run around candle keep for like the typical intro section where you talk to a whole bunch of people and you do minor quests, uh, not, you know, the kind of stuff where it's like, you know, kill 10 rats type stuff as you get acclimated to the game and the game is very good at, at teaching you little tiny pieces of realms lore uh, through like books and through stuff. Gorion says you find out for instance, that Gorion gets letters from a lot of people. And some of those people are pretty important. Uh, like there's a, this guy named Elminster who sends him letters from time to time. And you're like, who's that? And he's like, don't worry about it. Uh, but, but if you know anything about the forgotten realms, Elminster is essentially the Merlin of the setting. He's like one of the no. biggest wizards in the world. I was going to say one of the the things that also really is uh, present at the beginning is if you start reading all the books, which let's be honest, if you're playing this game, you're a D and D uh, enthusiast, very likely at the time, you're going to go and look for every single book. There is actually the introduction to the what year this is taking place, uh, which is 1368 DR, um, which is interesting because it happens to take place ten years after the time of troubles, which is very, very important framing for everything that occurs here. Especially I, since with stuff you'll find out about yourself later. Um, which I, I want to let should, you go, Joe. Yeah. I want to talk, talk about the time of troubles just a little bit. Go, go, go for it. So the time of troubles is this time where the, uh, a great prophet prophesized that uh, there'd be essentially huge turmoil where the gods would be, uh, forced to walk in their mortal uh, mortal shells, or in this case, avatars, uh, until the Tablets of Fate uh, from the over-deity Eo, which is sort of like the Faerun's version of like the one god, um, uh, basically said, you know, are, are found and ascensions are happening. They can get back to uh, becoming gods again because Eo had gotten sort of tired of the gods' pettiness with each other. Uh, they were essentially. Well, there's a specific triggering moment too. Go though. for it. Um, what happened is there were three gods that had used to be mortals: uh, Bane, Baal, and Merkel. Yes. And the three of them had the gone th- to the under underworld, basically in the very distant past, uh, looking to ambush and kill the god of death, Yurgal or Jurgal. I don't know if it's pronounced Jurgal or Yurgal. I always pronounce it Yurgal. I always pronounce um, it Yurgal too. So you know what? We're gonna go with yeah, it. Yeah, but Yurgal, uh, he knew they were coming. And he, more importantly, he is, they are not like, they don't stand a chance against him in a fight, but he's interested because Jurgle has been the God of all death, every aspect of death, the watcher of the dead, the, the judge of, of the light, the end of your life for eons. And he hates it. It is like the worst job. It is just a lot of people constantly being upset and you're alone all the time. And none of the other gods want to hang out with you. And it's just, it's, it's a suck job. So he's like, I don't want to do this anymore. So here's my portfolio. Divvy it up. 
and Merkel being the, the, the fast and the draw goes, I got death. And uh, Ball, who is like kind of psychotic, is like, that's fine. I got murder. And Bane, I believe Bane gets strife or something. I'm, I never can never remember what Bane's portfolio is other than I do bad stuff all he, the time. He's uh, he's essentially Diablo. He's terror and yeah. hate. Terror, yeah. oppression, so, hate. He's he's the Diablo of, of Faerun. Yeah. So Bane gets that that lot. And the three of them basically now, they're all three of them gods. They all kind of like, every so often they're eyeing each other. But they're like, you know, before we fight each other, why don't we get rid of everybody else? Like, you know, we know we can work together. We've, we successfully achieved this thing, even though Jurgle basically gave it up. We, we, we still got it. We did this. Let's stick together and see what we can do. But after like a long time, they have not had a lot of success. So they decide, you know what? We want to be more powerful. I heard that the Overgod uh, has himself some tablets of fate. Mm-hmm. Let's go steal those. And it's when they do that, that, uh, that AO, the Overgod is like, <laughs> all right, I've wanted to do this forever. You just finally stepped on my last nerve. And that's how this all starts. And this way, all of the gods uh, start, they're, they're forced to, to, out of their realms, the astral plane, or their, their pockets of reality, and are forced back to Faerun to walk as their mortal selves. Now, the reason this is important uh, is because, well, when they're in their mortal form, gods can die. It's a lot easier to kill a god when they're forced to walk the plane and aren't really necessarily fully powered up. Uh, mm-hmm. And so a lot of them did die. Uh, so... Uh, let's, I, I can go through the list real quick because I think it, for, it yeah. yeah. So you have, uh, Mistra, uh, who at this point was, uh, a mortal in, which is relevant to Baldur's Gate three. And we'll get to that in a, a little bit, uh, was one of the most powerful gods was in turn destroyed when she attempted to bypass helm in the celestial stairway. Basically she was yeeted off into oblivion. Uh, Bane, God of tyranny, strife, and hatred, uh, member of the dead three or the the murderous three uh, was slain uh, by a demigod. Uh, then Torm was the patron deity of paladins was killed by Bane uh, at the same time uh, with his dying breath. Baal, the god of murder, was slain by a mortal, Siric, uh, with the sword God's Bane, which will also be important later. Um, Tiamat <laughs> uh, was slain. Uh, Gilliam was slain. Heron was slain. Ibrand, basically, a good chunk of the pantheon was was killed or destroyed. And the thing is, prophets kind of saw this coming, and so did Bane. Because sorry, so did no, Baal. Baal. Excuse yeah, me. Baal. Because Baal, while even being a psychotic, murderous uh, person, understood that there were things outside of his control that he has to contend with, and his yeah, death being one way. of them. Yeah, think about it this way. Not all murderers are crazy, bloodthirsty lunatics. Some are cold, calculating, and because they need to murder somebody who's hard to murder. Uh, he he was the god of all of that. If, if if it's a murder, be it a professional assassination or just bludgeoning someone to death in a rage, Ball was the guy. And mm-hmm. so that's that's how he approached what he knew was coming. He didn't know for sure that he was going to die. Now we're not going to go. We're not going to yeah. go into too much details about what how he did this. But yeah. the decision was made that he would then go forth uh, before his death and create uh, a failsafe and create failsafes. And by creating a failsafe, he would have as many children as possible with all of the races of Faerun, as many as he could. Uh, these would be referred to as the ball spawn. Um, and the reason that is important is because in, you know, Baldur's Gate one, you are essentially 
you discover through your your trials and tribulations that the reason you have such a a dark edge about you is because you are in fact one of those bell spawn and that's sort of where the the game starts you right like figuring out what's going on this is the world that they're living in some gods have been replaced some gods have reascended um magic is in a very weird place in the world yeah, because someone start- else took over the job of mistra who wasn't mr before and, so. w- and wasn't doing too good of a job of it because they didn't really know what they were doing so sometimes this is where we start to see the birth of wild magic um because the, the, which is a D thing like at the time wild magic didn't exist until the time of troubles not in the same capacity so now here you are um yeah and I, i'm gonna let you talk now for for anything else you want to go through here but um, well, one I, of the things that happens at this point too uh and, and I think it's important to know about is that at the end of all of this, when the various gods have died or, you know, been replaced, AO decides to destroy the tablets of fate. Mm-hmm. And this causes what's called the era of upheaval, which is where all sorts of stuff is undecided and uncertain. Things are working differently. Uh, magic is different. There are new gods in charge of some things like there are a bunch of paladins who don't have a God anymore uh, because of Torm. Uh, Helm is sort of trying to pick up the slack, but not not really successful. Uh, the sun god Amanutar, uh, who comes up again in this discussion, essentially comes back from non-existence. Yeah, like it just it we didn't die. It just people stopped worshiping it and forgot about it. But through through the course of these games, returns and essentially is like an older form of the the sun god that had just died in the time of trouble. There's a lot of stuff bouncing around here. So that happens. And then we get to like 1368 uh, DR as, as Joe said before, and your character finds out that they're a child of ball. And they also find out that somebody wants to kill them because what's happening is all of the children of ball, not well, not all of them, uh, but the ones that are looking to seek his power learned that essentially in order to get his, the, the favor and claim the essence of ball, they basically have to go full Highlander on this because yeah, they have to go murder their siblings because a piece of balls essence resides in every single one of his children. All yeah, that was the, the reason that he had them was that's the plan. How is he going to return uh, in his head? It's similar to what uh, like the character Ayachu Vizim, um, whose name I can't pronounce properly. So if that's not his name, I apologize, but he's sort of like Bane's offspring. And when Bane was gone for a while after the time of troubles, he sort of took over the church of Bane, although not every member of the church of Bane would worship him. Um, and there's, so there's that kind of thing going on with the ball spawn, the ball spawn all essentially when one of them is left, that one will essentially become ball, or at least that was ball's goal. Yeah. The, the, the idea that they would ascend, right. Mm-hmm. But then this is where Saravok is sort of important as he is the main antagonist of the storyline uh, and your half brother Saravok is he's a death bringer. He's a bale spawn who understands what it is to be the son of the God of murder and wants to become the God of murder himself. Mm-hmm. Um, where is it? Uh, it was said inside the game. If you have the arrogance of a God and can kill like a God, who's to say you are not a God. And this is where like Saravok's whole framing is. 
Yeah, um, and he's thinking ahead. He isn't like the stuff that happens in the game. I don't think we want to sit here and try and break no. down absolutely everything. But essentially, he's working like he's he's got control of a mercenary group. He's got control of a good source of of material for weapons because he's not just planning on killing some people. He's planning on killing a lot of people because the only way to kill some of the other ball spawn is to have enough of a force that you can go wherever they are and get to them and through all the people that, because some of them are like, you know, I have the, all this power. I'm going to rule X. So Saravok is making plans to, to eventually have a force that he can use to kill any of them. Yep. And that's like, and- Saravok wasn't just a thug. No, and I mean, like, and this is, he's the perpetrator behind one of the ga- the game's main story arcs, which is there's an iron shortage going on right now inside of the, well, in the Sword Coast and in particularly Baldur's Gate. Uh, it's affecting things disproportionately there because surprising nobody, metal is sort of important for things like building and armor and weapons and defense mm-hmm. uh, and everyday things like farming tools. Uh, they need that metal. And so there's an iron shortage, uh, which is, you know, being caused by Saravac and his bandits. Um, and it's the Iron Throne uh, is basically the uh, the perpetrator behind the whole mess that got in bed with Saravac uh, in order to try to get people to buy iron from inflated prices from an old dwarven mine that they found uh, over in, like, uh, the Cloakwood Forest, which this is a common theme in Faerun. There's a lot of old dwarven things that people have forgotten about. Like, if you've played D&D and you played the opening uh, in the last recent, you know, however long fifth edition has been off, the lost mines of Fendelver are a good example of that mm-hmm. wave echo cave and all that stuff. Um, but you are essentially on your, your way to uh, sort of interrupt that. Uh, then you find out that Saravok is trying to take over the iron throne and then start a war between Baldur's gate and the city of Om. Uh, that will cause the death of thousands, which will then let him ascend. So, like, he's playing the long game. Like, it's not yeah, just murder for the sake of murder. Yeah, we should also mention that the reason you're even involved in all this is because he sent people to kill you. Because you need to die. Yeah, he found out about you, thought, well, A, I need to kill as many balls as possible. B, I definitely don't want to rival this close to me. Mm-hmm. This is too close. I don't want that. He's still young and hasn't really learned how to be, you know, what, what I've become. So, yeah, I'll just have him killed. It doesn't work because Gorion turns out to be way more badass than anyone thought he was and, and more or less takes out the attackers with your help. Uh, but but in the process, he's injured and has his dying, you know, Uncle Ben speech to uh, to your to the character. I, I'm going to just call him the character for now. Uh, there's a there's a canonical version of it. But for people playing the game, it was just the character you were playing. Your character was was the, the ball spawn of question. He then sends you to meet friends of his who are in the Harpers. And they join your party. Uh, Jahara, um, I can't remember Jahara's husband's name, but he's in the first game. Um, Khalid. Man, Khalid, thank you. Jahara and Khalid. Took me a minute, sorry. Yeah, I, I, Khalid's for pretty forgettable. Um, part of the Harper's Khalid, secret, secret, secret organization of good doers that try to do things yeah. in the, the, they're, they're the answer to the Thieves Guild. Yeah. Think of them as like, they're kind of like a Thieves Guild if the Thieves Guild doesn't want to do bad things. And they're also like, they oppose groups like the Zentarim, who are like an, an evil group of slavers who who have a lot of, at the time, Bainite priests in charge, and later it would be Syric priests. Um, there's there's just a lot going on. You you get them in your group, and then you start meeting other people. Uh, I don't remember. Miss, Minsk wasn't a harper. He just joins up, right? He joined up and became real good friends with Jahira. 
So uh-huh. like he was friends with Jahira and and Khalid, but he was not actually a Harper. He was just a yeah. ranger. Yeah, he was just you know there. Minsk, however, is one of the best characters in the mountain. Just just so you know. Um, but yeah, there's Minsk um, and Boo. Um, Boo of course, is a miniature space hamster. Uh, miniature giant he, space hamster. Yeah, miniature giant space hammer hamster. Uh, so he is. He looks like a normal hamster, but he's a giant space hamster. He's just smaller because he's a miniature one. Hope that helped. Uh, but <laughs> but with that that assortment of yourself, Imowen, and your friends you head off to like find this person who killed Garion because now it's personal because he made the classic uh, villain mistake of not killing you, but killing someone you care about, which is just always like, you should basically send you guys, look, if you can't kill this guy, don't kill anyone, this guy or no one. If you kill this guy, then kill everybody. That's fine. But if you don't kill this guy, please don't kill anyone they care about. Mm-hmm. Please. And, but that's what happens. Garion's dead and you're on a, you're on a quest for answers and vengeance. Cause at this point you don't know why Saravank wants you dead. Uh, you don't know that he's a boss bond too. You don't know that it's important. You, you're not, you know, th- this whole thing is just way you've, you've got no idea what's going on. And you go through basically the iron throne. You find out that they're part of a conspiracy to deliver the city of Baldur's gate to Saravak. Uh, you go to Baldur's Gate, you start helping out around there, you discover all this stuff, and eventually there's confrontation time with your evil brother who's trying to channel the power of a god. And, uh, as you might expect... You win. Yeah, you win. You kill him. Uh, but you don't even get a day to be happy with that. <laughs> You're literally at the party for, you know, yay, we did it! We beat Saravak, And the next day, you find yourself in a prison in the well, middle of nowhere. Kinda. So the, the the second game actually advances the the timeline quite a bit. By a year. Uh, yes. So it it takes place in uh, fifty nine, I believe. But, but you get kidnapped from the party. Like it says, you so. do. You get kidnapped from the party, and you don't see your character again for a year when you go to the next game. Because the DLC, like they didn't call it DLC back then, the expansion for Baldur's Sh- Gate One, Shadows of Om. Yeah, no, no. Oh, sorry, yeah, Sword Coast. Sword, Sword yeah, Coast. Yeah, the Sword Coast. Tales of the Sword Coast isn't necessarily part of the story. Like, I mean, it's got a castle that you go to and you fight a bunch of monsters and you, you get treasure and stuff. And a pirate island. Don't forget the pirate, yeah, island. pirate island. But it's not necessarily in line of the story. Like, you don't. The story doesn't assume you did it. It, it was a side quest. So it basically, yeah. it was one of those things where it, it, while the Tales of the Sword Coast added another, at this time, 20 to 30 hours of gameplay. Uh, the story wasn't relevant for the uh, progression. Whatever we did was not relevant to the progression of the story. It just made yeah, you, you made you more powerful, let you level up. It increased your experience point cap and let you get better spells and better weapons. Yeah, but that was you know, which was great. But it, it means that for the purposes of the story advancement, Baldur's Gate Two literally starts a year after Baldur's Gate One, and the opening of Baldur's Gate Two basically just says, "Here's what happened that year." Yeah, and so what you wind up finding is that when the game opens in, in Baldur's Gate 2, is we're just going to transition here, um, you're in a cage, you're being experimented on by a wizard who is aware of who you are. They understand that you are actually a god spawn, that you have untapped power. Um, basically, there's an attack by the Shadow Thieves. Uh, the wizard goes and disappears to fight them, and Imowen, your long your, your sister or half sister, whatever you want to call her, your adopted sister, uh, appears from a side room. It turns out she's been trying to find you, um, and then also you get the opportunity to free Jahira and Minsk, who are being held in cells close by. You can choose to leave them behind, but that would be really dumb and not canonical. So you, yeah, for one thing, you really need the help to get out of there. 
it is a rough way because you do not have any of your weapons. You are uh, not well rested. You don't have full, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you basically escape the complex. You emerge in the city of Athkalta, or Athkalta, Kotla? Athkalta, yeah. Yeah. Um, and you basically witness a person by the name of John Arenicus, who Magic the Gathering players may actually be aware of now, thanks to uh, his card being one of the most played in Commander, uh, which is the wizard that basically had you uh, being experimented on. He fights off his attackers. Uh, and destroys a whole bunch of uh, of folks around him. Uh, Then the Cowled Wizards appear. Now, the Cowled Wizards are sort of important because they're another secret organization. Um, They are there to sort of police magic in general. Remember how we said that Mistra died and there was another one person that took over the, the, the mantle of Mistra and wasn't really doing that good of a job of it because they hadn't done it before. They weren't really, you know, he had to figure out how to become a god from scratch. The cowled wizards were trying to sort of curb a bunch of this, fighting against the cults, fighting against uh, folks that were essentially diablerists, basically anybody trying to do things like, I don't know, summon greater devils from the nine hells back to the material plane. And so they wind up arresting Irenicus, but also Imowen for unsanctioned use of magic, and they teleport them away. You have to go and get them back, (laughs) or at least get Imowen back. Um, you have to go raise funds uh, to get somebody Make an alliance with somebody Galen uh, has, G- yeah. Galen Bale, uh, who is uh, well, yeah, but you can theoretically betray him and, and work with another group. Oh, absolutely, you can. Yeah. Um, but like everybody wants money; they want twenty thousand gold pieces, which is absolutely insane. Um, it's a lot of money. It's a lot of money for for the time that this game was uh, around, uh, and you wind up making your way through and going on wild adventures. Um, there are some key things here, and I'm going to let Matt talk for a little while, but there are some really cool story moments that tie this in with the greater elements of uh, Forgotten Realms in general, as well as sort of tying in the Underdark and the world that lives beneath Faerun, because we don't really see it in Baldur's Gate 1, but Baldur's Gate 2, it is a key component. Yeah, Baldur's Gate 2, because it is a, a game where you start off at, like, I'd say, lower but mid-levels, like, I think around level 7 or 8. And it takes you basically to max level. Uh, you can get up to like level 20, even higher, I think. Um, depending on what that, class you pick, yeah. Yeah, depending on what class you pick. Because of that, there's a lot of stuff that happens in it. I'm going to try really hard to get all of it. I know I'll forget some stuff and Joe's going to have to jump in, but I'll do the best I can. Arenicus takes Imowen, like he tells them that, you know, you will take the girl as well. And the, the cowed wizards grab both of them. That's Arenicus's plan. He wants them to, to grab Imowen because he knows you will come for Imowen. Uh, but also because he knows Imowen's secret that even she doesn't know. Um, apparently, Garion had a magic belt that he gave her. Mm-hmm. And that belt has suppressed her innate power. He, I guess he didn't have two of them, so he had to pick somebody to give it to, and he gave it to Imowen. As a result, Imowen has no idea what Arenicus knows, that she is also a ball spawn. Yep. And he is going to be experimenting on her. It, it literally, as soon as they get to the cowled wizard prison, he just steps out of his cell, starts slaughtering cowled wizards, and takes the place over. It doesn't take him five minutes. Um, and he's voiced by David Warner, by the way. So uh, David Warner, you may know from Time Bandits. You may know from his his turn as the guy torturing Picard in uh, the Star Trek episodes where he made Picard, you know, Picard kept screaming, there were four lights. But he tell you, Mitch Detroit later. Actually, I could see five. I just didn't want to admit it. 
Um, that guy, amazing actor, and his voice vocal performance make gives Arenicus so much gravitas. Not that Saravak didn't have gravitas. Saravak was a very growly, you know, I'm evil. He was very generic guy. for the nineties. Like you you would yeah. like turn on a nineties cartoon show and sort of expect that's what the villain would sound like. No, he was good at it. I mean very good. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. It was a very much more basic. Arenicus is much more complex. Arenicus has feelings of remorse. He's doing these things not because he wants to, but because he feels he must. Um, and as a result of all this, uh, one of the things that's happening in in Athkatla is there's a group of vampires who are coming in and are trying to like th- overthrow the Shadow Thief, which is one of the reasons that the Shadow Thieves attacked Arenicus's hideout. Because mm-hmm. they were like, wait, this guy's... This guy's in with these vampires. It turns out that one of the vamp- the vampire in question who's leading it is called Bodhi. And Bodhi is Arenicus' sister. And that will come up later in terms of why that's important. She's a vampire. He is not. Um, he looks very strange, though. His face is literally stretched tight on his body. Mm-hmm. Like, literally, there are hooks pulling it back. That's because he is aging much faster than he should be to him. And he's using magic to preserve himself because... He had something stolen from him, uh, and that comes up. We will we'll get into it. But you, you finally, you do like a whole bunch of stuff. I remember I had to go out and like cleanse a temple and fight a big shadow dragon to make the money. While you're at that temple, you find out it's the temple of a monitor, yep. the sun god I mentioned earlier, uh, and you sort of are responsible for him kind of coming back. Yeah, you sort of unlock the 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 seal of like that was preventing him from reforming. It. I'm oversimplifying it. Yeah, it's there's basically like a, a nearby town and they provide you with some help when you go in and you free the place and you have a little paladin with you named Mazzy and she like kind of becomes a monitor's paladin sorta. I don't but it, however it works, now a monitor's like existence is a, people are aware of it again. They know that this god exists in a time where they've lost so many gods. It's sort of like people were like eager to 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 worship one who is about light and life and the return of life. Um, so that's one of the things you do as you're doing all this, you go back to Athkatla, you either make, you know, stick to your agreement with the shadow thieves, or you betray them to the vampires led by Bodhi, which is a mistake because as I said, Bodhi is working for Renicus, her brother. And also Galen, while being a thief, will hold true to the, to, to the, yeah, uh, the, the deal. Galen is not, well, first off, Galen wants help with the vampires. Yep. And as long as you give him that, He's totally, you know, secondly, he knows you don't have any designs on, you know, being the master thief of Hakatla. You want to save your sister and get the heck out of here. And so he's totally down with working with like the two of you have, have common goals. You both hate Renicus. You both want to stop him. And so he works his influence to get you to Spellhold, which is the place that the Kyle wizards are, are leading. Well, the spell hold is actually really important here, and and the reason why is because it is it is essentially the home for like or the imprisoned wizards, right? So it's where it's supposed to be warded, it's supposed to be well contained, it's supposed to be like a maximum security prison for wizards. Uh, so anything you take there, anything the cobbled wizards take there, is supposed to be well secured. As Matt pointed out earlier, it didn't really work out for them because John Arenicus is exceedingly powerful. Yeah, like, let me put it to you this way. There are wizards on Faerun who could probably fight Arenicus. None of them are in the Cowled Wizards. Were, you're talking Kelvin Blackstaff. You're talking um, Crazy Pants and Undermountain. What's his name? Oh, I can't remember his name off the top of my head. But you know what I'm talking about. Hal- Hal- Halaster the Mad. Yes. Halaster the Mad, 
uh, Black Kelvin Blackstaff or Elminster at this time, or the symbol, the symbol, those four, any one of them might've been able to do it. The cowed wizards don't have any of them. No, like they don't have, they don't have Mordecai on. They don't have Aslan Rex. They don't have Tasha's nowhere to be found. Yeah. They don't have anybody who can stand up to our running kids. Tam maybe could be because he's a red wizard of Thay, the leader of the red wizards of Thay, which is actually important in uh, Baldur's gate too, by the way. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, but Sastam, I would actually give it to Renicus just because he's been around even longer. But yes, yeah, Sastam is a good contender. There, there are Faerunian wizards of this power level before. We've seen them before. Technically, Vec- Vecna is active during this time frame as well. Yeah, but he's originally from Greyhawk, and he's not going to care what Renicus is doing. Renicus is not doing anything that would make a, that would make Vecna upset yet. Vecna would be like, "Go ahead, mess with him. It'll make it easier for me." Uh, but yeah, so you get to Spellhold. It is this magical prison. You are fighting your way through it. You're fighting what's remaining of the cowed wizards, many of whom are gone. Uh, and the, some of that remain are no longer sa- of sound mind and body. You're also fighting the prisoners. Like there were wizards. A lot of the wizards who were here were here for good reason. Mm-hmm. They weren't here because, you know, the cowed wizards may have jumped the gun on, on Imowen, but they're not like, they weren't always wrong. There's a lot of people here who should be stopped. You finally catch up with Arenicus and he reveals that he wanted you there. In fact, it was his entire plan that you be there whilst he had access to the incredible magical research areas of Spellhold so he could finalize what he was doing to you. He needed this. He needed all of this to happen, and he made it happen. The whole Shadow the shadow Thieves finding him, he wanted that. You escaping, he wanted that. Bodhi either getting destroyed by you or tricking you, doesn't matter either worked for him this is like one of the biggest pre-xanatos xanatos gambits yeah because look because like when you get there you get inside spell hold you get captured by renicus you see that he's taken and it's been a plan all along but it's all to subject you to that ritual and that ritual is to take your soul mm-hmm. right and you find out that imowen who now you find out during this whole process is a child of ball as well has already got undergone the ritual and her soul has gone to bodhi renicus's sister um, which then, you know, there's a, it leads to a chase of Bodhi, uh, where they disappear. I think the I forgot what the name of the maze was, but there's this huge maze beneath Spellhold, um, which is essentially like this, like almost like a part of the Underdark, but not quite. I forgot what the upper part of the Underdark is called. Um, and she wants to hunt them. She wants to hunt the party. Uh, and now, uh, when you get there and you finally face her, she taunts you with that her brother might still yet be foiled. But here's the interesting thing. You're doing this and you don't have a soul. Your soul is gone. And what winds up happening is you lose control and transform into a creature called the Slayer. Now, keep in mind, Mm -hmm. this game was released in 2000. It is very much the heavy metal of the 80s and 90s influence here because D&D. But you are you basically the Slayer is one of the avatar forms of Baal. Uh, a body quickly retreats, winds up going to tell her brother, and then uh, you wind up turning back into your normal self. And then soon, with the aid of some of Spellhole's inmates, you battle him and force him to retreat. Uh, and then you basically go back and try to get through the surface of the world through the Underdark. Uh, and then it relates to an elven city of, I can never pronounce his name, so I'm going to let Matt give it a shot if he wants to. Oh, no, don't even try. Soldenacellar. I- yeah, Sold. I, I don't know, man. Dude, that's that. That's a you know. That's mean. 
trying to get people to pronounce Elvin <laughs> in favor of God. That's like, I, you have any idea how many arguments I saw about Mithranor? Yep. And that's just Mithranor. How hard can that be? Apparently very hard. But this is a, this is a treetop-ish uh, the way that it's one well, of the map, I remember it looked like it was like stones being born aloft into trees um, where like the elves basically live in sort of harmony uh, with nature. But when you get there, you find out, well, the elves are sort of like SOL. They can't really get back into the city because Arenicus has magically hidden it from them. Uh, so then you have to go and get a, uh, something called, I think it's the Rin Lanthorn uh, that Body has, which is a, a magical artifact that you know will show, show the way. You have to kill Body. Um, you restore Imogen's soul or Imogen's soul, uh, and then the the Lanthorn uh, lights the way, literally guides you back to the city, uh, so that you can go and try to confront Arenicus and his minions. Yep. And it's built upon the Tree of Life, which I think is really interesting because. In original D&D, uh, first edition and second edition, elves of all flavors sort of have this really strong connection to the world and to nature. It's just kind of naturally how they are. Even if they're like arcane wielders, even those of the Underdark, uh, they sort of have like this way of interacting with the world that none of the other races don't at this time. Um so here you find that the tree of life where that believe the palace is built on top of uh, John Arrhenicus is actually draining the power from the tree, which will cause cause uh, the, the Elven city to destroy itself. And this is sort of your last stand. And do we, do we need to talk about LSM here? Go for it. Basically um, we find out through this process what exactly happened in that both Arrhenicus and Bodhi were elves, but they decided to, try to tap the power of the tree of life directly instead of accepting the gifts it gives just by being there. He wanted to access its power directly. And at the time he was like court wizard and a lover of Elysim's. And when she found out what he was doing, she had him arrested and both of them and brought before her where he's like, no, this would make us stronger. This will make elves the, the, the re- leading race of, of Faerun. You don't understand what you're doing. And she was like, I understand exactly what I'm doing. It's you who doesn't understand. Uh, you would kill us to save us that we wouldn't be elves anymore. And so since that's what you want so badly, she, she had their elven essence ripped out of them mm-hmm. and banished them to the world as mortal beings. He can't say humans because they weren't human. Oh, they did they lose their ears. Elves either. What? They did lose they did their pointed ears. ears. Yeah, they did lose their ears, but still you can't really call them human, but they weren't anything well, anymore. This is why Arenicus has a title. And it's, mm-hmm. and again, anybody who plays magic would probably have seen this on the card, but this is where it comes from. He's referred to as the shattered one. Yeah. And, and that's why, because of his elven essence being ripped from him, the fact that he leans towards necromancy and, and profane arts, like to try to get back what he was, what he lost. Yeah. Bodhi uh, decides to go with vampirism just so she'll live longer. But Arenicus is not willing to do that. Vampirism isn't the answer in his opinion. Uh, but when he finds out about the ball spawn and the souls, he figures that'll do it. Like they'll take, they take the souls out of two of these ball spawn. We'll use those to power us to get it to, to replace what we've lost. And then we'll go back and we'll make them see how right I am. Even if I have to destroy them to do it. Like he's, he's still like twisted up in love and Elysium. Yes. Like, but but it's, it's all curdled in his head. Cause he's not really an elf anymore. He doesn't really understand 
what he's lost. He even says so. He tells you, I don't even know what I've lost. You understand what it's like to have lost something and don't even know what it is. So yeah, as Joe said, final fight. You should go, Joe. Yeah. So with the final fight, you you basically confront him inside of the, I believe it's the main throne room of the palace. Uh, it's been a while. I haven't played it in forever, so I apologize. Uh, but you do manage to defeat him as heroes are off to do. But there's a problem. Now, while you defeated Body and got Imowen's soul back, Arenicus still has your soul. So as... The, as you are seeing him dragged into hell itself, the rest of the party and the player are dragged along also. You see, I believe we we, we leave um, Minsk is turning to stone at this point. Um, Jahira, I forgot what her fate was. Um, Imowen are, uh, you know, I think she's also brought in there. It, like, and it ends supposedly with uh after doing that and after getting basically dragged to hell that the elves uh bring them back to life and are and honor them but it's questioned whether or not that actually happened there was never a sequel or a uh, um a follow-up and expansion for uh shadows of om uh yeah was was there thrown a ball oh that's right go sorry go ahead um, after all this happens and you're, you're hanging out in a Soldelisa, I can't, uh, so whatever. Yeah. You're in elf town and LSM is like, um, I really appreciate all you did. That was great. Please get the hell out. Uh, you're, oh, nice- that's right. I'm sorry. I forgot. I, the reason I forgot about this is because by the time I went back and replayed all, they were all part of the same thing again. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. So she, she tells you that and you're like, well, thanks for nothing. I guess she said, no, no, no. Look, here's, here's a whole lot of, mo- of money. Here's a bunch of magical stuff. I really do appreciate it. But every elf in town is really done with this. They, and I've been keeping them off your back for the past, like, I guess it was like a week or two, but it, I can't anymore. I've, I'm spending all the political capital I have. And not only that, but the debt's, the debt's been repaid. We've dragged you out of hell. Yeah. So please leave. Um, please accept my thanks again. Cause I mean it. Uh, I'm not a jerk, but I, I simply have no choice. Um, so you go to leave and you're attacked almost immediately by more assassins. And you're like, seriously, can I leave a place without assassins attacking me? Well, that's because um, the, uh, the war has broken out into fear amongst the, the ball spawn at yeah, this point, right? That's exactly what has happened. Uh, Tethir, which is, I believe pretty close to, um, Am is the nation to the South of Baldur's gate and the sword coast area. And I believe Tether's like over yes. one. And uh, coincidentally, Tether, this is one of Ed Greenwood's, uh, favored creations, by the way. Yeah. Tether is currently being divided, but I think it, is it four or five ball spawn? I can't five. remember how there many are five of them. There are the five siblings. Yeah. There's these five siblings who are like, they are, I mean, technically we're all siblings, but these five apparently found each other and were like, if we kill every other ball spawn, then maybe there'll be enough divine essence for all of us to ascend. And if not, we can always kill each other after. And there are, none of them are like, they're all got their plans and plots against each other, but, but they're working together pretty well here. And they think they can take anybody. So when they hear you're around, they decide, yeah, we'll just kill that guy. So he's not a problem. Uh, oh, you know what? Yeah. Mm, go ahead. I remember this is where Jim Cummings did a bunch of the voices that. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Please. So I'm, I'm, I'm just skipping a lot at what happens, but you head over there and you make friends with this woman who claims to be like a Mellison. 
Yeah, Millicent. She claims to be on your side and wanting to fight the uh, the ball spawn. And she's kind of right, but we'll get into that later. Um, you do defeat them all. Like, you fight them all and eventually defeat them all. And you end up, like, in Ball's realm. In I, I want to say hell. It, it's kind of actually hard to tell where Ball's realm is. Ball's realm is, is sort of this in-between pocket dimension that isn't quite yeah. hell because... In D and D, the hell is is controlled by the, this. Does come into play later, mm-hmm. um, but like hell is its own its own place. The nine hells are their yeah. own thing, but there are dimensions that touch it. Yeah, and so you you go there, and it turns out that Melisande has been using you because, of course, Melisande has been using you, and she's going to take. She used to work directly for a Ball. In fact, she was one of the women who he had a child with, and. But she never wanted that child. Like she, as soon as Ball was out of the picture, so was that child. Uh, she just wanted power. She thought, "Why should I let some child become the new god of murder when I can do it?" And so, as his former cleric, like obviously when he died, he wasn't granting spells anymore. She's she's intimately familiar with the power that he has. Well, there's an extra an extra sense to that. So she's Emilis and the Blackhearted, who was yeah. Ball's high priestess, whom he put in charge of resurrecting him. Mm-hmm. And she has decided, "I ain't doing that." Uh, instead I'm going to take his place. Yep. So you go there. She's got all the power from all those ball spawn. You killed, you got to fight her. There's a thing. I can't remember exactly how you get her. She has a protection thing and you have to get around it. I don't remember exactly how you do it. It turns out one of the things that's revealed is when Arenicus had your soul, he just had your human soul. Mm-hmm. He didn't have the, the, he didn't, he was using the human soul to bridge to the power of ball. But he didn't have it in him. It was in you the whole time. This is why you could turn into the Avatar. Yeah, that's why you could turn into the Slayer. But the process, what Renarinicus did, broke you in pieces. And so you have to relearn how to, you have to basically fuse yourself back together into a full, complete ball spawn. And guess who helped you do it? Saravok. Mm-hmm. You actually bring Saravok back from the dead because his spirit, like all the other ball spawn spirits, is here in Ball's you know, thing. Cause it ended up there when he died. And so I don't love that. There's back- a reference to this in Baldur's Gate three. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you bring Saravok back and he's like, uh, I don't have the ball spawn essence anymore. And um, you're like, yeah, we can still fight. And right now I need someone to fight for me. And he goes, you, you seriously gonna trust me. And you go, what, why not? What, you know, what do you want her to become the book? God of murder. And Saravok's like, absolutely not. You're right. Let's go. Uh, so you, you and Saravok as two, you know, sons of ball saddle up and go into combat. And eventually you do beat her. You beat, uh, Emerus and uh, people want to say Melisande, not Emerus, but you beat her, but then you're in, you're put in a really weird position. Imowin has absolutely no desire to be the Lord of murder or you any get, of that crap. You get hmm? three, you get three choices here. This yeah. is one of Imowin's the first times like straight up. Imowin turns to you and goes, this is your deal. I am perfectly happy just being Emowyn the thief and occasional wizard. You go, you decide. By the way, Emowyn, uh, I should also put it out that Emowyn was the original arc, uh, the original architect for the er, archetype for the arcane trickster that you see in later versions of D and D. Yep. That's exactly what Emowyn is. You're now like, you're in a position where you're given the three choices. As Joe says, do you want to do it? Or yeah. So the it? three choices are, you can choose to go back to your mortal life, uh, destroying the throne of ball. Um, you can choose to ascend. And then when you choose to ascend, you have a split choice. You can become the God of murder, or you become a deity dedicated to good and righteousness. Cause this is the other thing that, that, that is interesting. And it sort of frames it in an interesting light there is such a thing as like righteous death 
right? Like there is there is this this side of the coin where sometimes you have to do something bad for a good outcome. I'm not I'm oversimplifying it, obviously. But like in this particular case, you just murdered all the bail spawn. You just murdered the high priestess of bail. You've done a bunch of good, but it required you murdering to get there. And so you can choose any of these outcomes. And uh, I don't want to ruin too much in Baldur's Gate 3, but one of these three is a canonical ending for your character. Yeah, I think we can actually spoil the canonical ending because it's, it. part of, it's part of uh, multiple things. Uh, basically, as, as Joe would probably have pointed out already, I think you've already mentioned this, Baldur's Gate 3 is the close to 100 years after the, the other two Baldur's Gate games. I think yes. it's actually more like 120 years. Uh, it's, the second Sundering is in 1482. Um, I think Descent from Avernus is in 1493. Uh, Descent in Avernus is very important to Baldur's Gate 3 as well. And we will be talking about that. But there's a adventure called Murder. Baldur's Gate 3 is in 1492, by the way. Yeah, 14. I thought it was 1493. 1492. No, no, it's not. It's 1494. Because uh, Descent into Avernus is 1493. I just looked it up. I'm looking at it right now. Interesting. So our two sources are in conflict. Ooh, Larry, Larry and you, you got you to gotta screw up your timeline there, friends. It might be, you know, whoever this, this, who wrote this time. All right. So be somewhere right. in between 82 in, and 84. At some point. 92, 94. 494, 1494, 1492, whatever. The important thing is that Murders in Baldur's Gate takes place like 10 years before this. And in the, the year 1482, uh, the 150-year-old Grand Duke of Baldur's Gate gets murdered. Mm-hmm. The reason this is important is he is the canonical ball spawn hero of the Baldur's Gate one and two video games. Yes. And his death triggers the resurrection of ball. When, when he dies, ball is reborn. So canonically he chose to not become a God. He chose to return to his mortal life, but his mortal life lasted at least 150 years because he was still superior to your average human due to his, his divine blood. He could probably keep going. He probably could have gone for much longer than that. If he hadn't been murdered. Yeah. Yep. Um, but yeah, he was, he was murdered at the time he was murdered. He wasn't just grand Duke. He was also head of the, I want to say the firelights. Yes. Yeah. He was head of the firelights guild, which is like the, it's like a, a mercenary group that became the honor guard of Baldur's gate following the events of Baldur's gate one. They were the ones who helped stop the iron throne. They were the ones who took on the role of securing Baldur's gate. So when he returned to his life, Abdel Ab- Adrian, that's the name of the character uh, in the ca- in the canon. Abdel Adrian became Grand Duke and ruled Baldur's Gate for like a hundred and something years. In that time, bringing it great prosperity. With his death, all sorts of stuff starts happening, including the return of Baal. Baal is supposedly resurrected. And as a result of that, we get descent into Avernus, where the, the neighboring city of El Turel ends up going to hell. And the, one of the people from El Torel goes to Baldur's Gate and starts that process. Do you want to talk about Descent Invertus? No, go for it. Okay. Basically, there's an the city of over the city of El Torel has an overseer. Um, I can never remember his bloody name. He's a jerk, uh, but he's like he makes a deal with someone he doesn't understand is a, an archdevil. He doesn't understand it when he makes the deal. Yeah, the archdevil um, Zariel, right? Yeah, Zariel was originally an angel. Yes. Uh, and Zariel came to El Torel in the past and said, I, I want to start a crusade because the blood war is happening and it's, we've got to stop it. 
<coughs> we need people to join join my forces and come with me to the first level of hell, Avernus, where we will stop the blood war. We will you know, fight and destroy these demons and devils and we'll end the war, which will end all the suffering that the war is inflicting throughout the cosmos. And the people of El Terrell bought it. I mean, Zariel meant it at the time. Uh, Zariel was a very powerful angel and they were like, yeah, all right, we'll do it. Um, but they didn't succeed. And as a result, many of the people who went with her who were called hell riders because they were riding with Zariel to destroy hell um, got trapped down there. Some escaped, but they had to desert. They literally deserted Zariel in the hells to escape back to Faerun and, and Elturel. They did. They thought Zariel was destroyed, but um, Asmodeus, when he finally had Zariel in front of him said, you know, I get what I get you. Yeah. You, you, you just wanted all this, this chaos to end. I hate chaos. I, I totally get you, but it's not us. You have to be upset with it's the demons. They're the ones who want this war. I, I, we don't want war. We want orderly and controlled orderly and controlled. Isn't war. War is chaos and madness. Yeah. Keep in mind, like it is a perfect personification of what devils are because in D and D they tend to be lawful evil. Yeah. Asmodeus was both persuasive and he didn't lie. He didn't have to. He knew Zariel was ma- was angry at the other angels for not joining her. Uh, she knew he was she was angry at the Hell Riders that had left her to be destroyed. They betro- they abandoned her. He was she was angry at Elturel for being the place that they were from. Uh, the only ones she still liked were the, the Hell Riders who were also there with her being judged. And so Asmodeus is like, why don't you and I make a deal? Um, because of what you guys have been doing, Avern- uh, Avernus doesn't have a leader, and you want to fight the demons and Avernus is the place the demons come because it's the first layer. Why don't I give you Avernus? All you got to do is, you know, become one of my, my devils. That's, that's, is that so bad? Really? Really? I mean, come on. Uh, you attacked my people. I would be totally justified in destroying you. Right. But no, we can totally help each other. Yeah. She's not even and, just a devil. She's an arch devil. Yeah. He made her the arch devil ruler of Avernus. The arch duchess of Avernus. Yeah. Yep. And so, as a result of that, she now had enormous power, uh, more so than she ever had as an angel, because now she's literally the, the ruler of a layer of hell. In that, in that guise, as the as, as Joe pointed out, the Archduchess of, of Avernus, she makes the pact with the uh, overseer of Elturel. And in that pact, she there's this glowing globe thing that appears. Everyone in Elturel is terrified of it. She makes the pact with him and gets rid of it because she's the one who put it there in the first place. Mm-hmm. And so he thinks, yeah, I did good. I saved the city. All I had to do was make this deal. And then she comes in and goes, by the way, uh, that deal's coming due right now. And I'm taking the city, all of it, everyone in it. I'm taking it all to hell. He gets out in time instead of warning anybody. Cause he's like, yeah, okay. Uh, I'm, I'm just going to go tell everyone and, and books out. She takes the city, takes it straight to hell. And now she sets her sights on Baldur's gate because the new grand Duke, the one who replaced Abdel Adrian it was in El Torel. Mm-hmm. He was called there as part of a diplomatic meeting to like come up with a trade deal. He didn't want to go, but one of his you know counselors who was in league with the overseer convinced him he should. And so he ends up going to hell with everybody in El Torel while they start trying to take over Baldur's Gate. That's the opening to the descent of Avernus. The reason it's important is partially because of the blood war, uh, because 
the blood war is what the people of Elturel get stuck in. They are forced to fight in Zariel's army, uh, especially tieflings, but anybody yeah. in and, and you start to see this. So the reason we bring this up and the reason that we talk about the Center of Ernest, because it is important, is that all three of these these events, and we're going to call them events, whether it was the Balespawn War, the Time of Troubles, and the uh, the Blood War, um, everything in the Descendant of Ernest, excuse me, everything feeds into where you start in Baldur's Gate 3. So most people think that it's going to start with this war between the Nautiloid uh, and the Mind Flayers and, and whatever's happening there. The problem is that's such a small portion of it, and if you pay attention early, the game lays it out for you right at the beginning. When you look at what's going on, if you have a character that maybe can speak Infernal, you hear things being said by these devils that are on the Nautiloid fighting the Illithid. Um, you hear all these comments when you start going into Faerun properly and start digging around. You can find in the first 10 minutes of the game, you can make your way to uh, Forgotten Ruins. And in the Forgotten Ruins, you're going to find two things. You're going to find an animated corpse named Withers, who's going to uh, be with you forever. Uh, and you're also going to find a mural of the dead three and tons of books of prophecy and tons of books uh, that may or may not be referencing what happened in Baldur's Gate one and in Baldur's Gate two. Um, it looks more like a study in a temple than anything else conveniently enough, possibly something you may have visited in a previous game. Um, and it starts laying the groundwork that there is something more deep going on than just trying to get a slug out of your head. And that's one of the reasons I think at least people like us are really invested into Baldur's Gate three um, talking about the descent to Avernus and the war with the tieflings. You meet people that were dragged through that war, that were experimented mm -hmm. on, that were um, molded by that, that were conscripted into this against their wills. Um, and, and even like you can even play as one. Yes. Like if you choose to play as Carlac, uh, you can basically, you are a veteran of the blood war who had absolutely no desire to be in it and even had your heart taken out and replaced with an infernal engine instead. So you, instead of having a beating heart, you've got this flaming devil sphere in your chest that that zariel herself had put in there and that's even if you even if you don't play carlac you can still have carlac in your party so everything i just told you is like starter information on carlac you you will know this information before you even meet her because it's one of the characters you can pick you can click on a little box and it will give you like a nice acted out lore dump which by the way is fantastic if you're gonna have a game that has you can pick multiple characters or create your own custom one having a thing that will just have the character sit there and tell you who they are mm -hmm. is brilliant um i think that's one of the best things about the character creator i've characters i've created um i don't know who joe's playing in fact i'm going to try and get him to tell you after but the ones i'm playing right now is i'm playing carlac i'm playing the dark urge uh four times and i'm playing um oh bloody heck should we, will should we mention the dark urge a little bit yes but you should because i want first of all i want to hear you do it and secondly because the dark urge feeds right into everything we were just talking about including everything joe just said about this game how this game con continues all that previous stuff so yeah go go so the character that has the dark urge background or the origin story it's a 
it's a multifaceted and very dark past. It's a murderous past shrouded in blood, violence, and gore. Uh, unlike the other pre uh, predetermined ones, this has basically two ways you can go with it. There's evil, and then there's disturbingly gross evil that maybe Sam Raimi wouldn't even put on a screen. Um, there's a lot of death, it in, some of which involves the Dark Urge willing to kill companions. Um, and it's also locked to a specific background called The Haunted One, which is absolutely phenomenal. The best way I can put it, it's The Haunted One. I'm just going to read it. Uh, a wicked moment, person or thing that cannot be slain by sword or spell haunts your mind and flickers in your peripheral vision. You carry it whether your adventure takes you or perhaps it carries you. Sounds like uh, something we may have experienced in uh, Baldur's Gate 1 or 2, yeah? Mm-hmm. Um, it's come to find out, and again, mild spoilers, is the dark urge with its sinister look, sadistic theme, and all the options that are on there, uh, you are a bail spawn. The Dark Urge is a Balespawn confirming that Balespawn still exists in this world. Or that the death of the the character from Baldur's Gate 1 and Baldur's Gate 2, uh, his death or their death, uh, wasn't necessarily the end of the Balespawn. You weren't the last because, well, here's living proof. Yeah. And it's also... I mean, I think anybody who who had played those games was kind of a was pretty sure that that's what the dark urge was, uh, just because of what it is. I I don't think I've been playing it particularly evil. I actually think I've been playing it kind of good. But even if you try playing it good, you will do some evil things. There are certain things where you can't. Uh, do, there's also a character I think it's called the Butler that shows up. Yeah, the Butler. Oh God, that thing. Uh, Sl- fell. It pops up when you're about to go to sleep very much in this way that some of the characters and NPCs do that you interact with in the world. There are several that will do this, um, that he's been waiting for you to come back. And even though you can't remember anything, it begins the dark urge adventure proper, which is his own storyline. Cause one of the things that Baldur's Gate does is all of the origins, all of the characters, all of the choices have a unique storyline that sort of flows through with them. Uh, and this is where yours begins in proper. And uh, the butler is a rather interesting looking fellow. Um, not really sure how I can describe it besides from if you take a person from the game, we happy few uh, combine it with a nice, healthy smattering of decayed everything uh, and then interbreed it with the crypt keeper. Then you get the butler. I think that's pretty good. Um, that's not, it's not totally inaccurate um <laughs> kind of one of those things where i feel like when joe said that the dark urge can be like gory to the point where sam raimi wouldn't do it let's put it this way if sam raimi was doing it the butler would definitely be a character in his version uh def- definitely creepy and weird now the other thing that i think is interesting is the dark urge also opens up some very bale-esque moments and interactions um and again mild spoilers here uh when you encounter gale inside of the uh the the portal Instead, oh, of pull, yeah. instead of pulling him off, you can actually chop off his arm, and then Gale's gone. Bye. Yep. No more Gale. That if you, that option is not clear, like it doesn't yep. say when you take that option, it doesn't say do the thing to Bale's arm to Gale's arm. It just says like you know you fantasize about, and then you start really fantasizing about, it, and you rip his arm off, and everybody else is like, "What did you do that for?" And you're like, "I I I just thought I was um oh wow, sorry." So There's- yeah, it's it's right up there. There's an option where you are in the Druid Grove and you can uh, you can torture the bird that's being cured. 
Um, Minthara, who is a drow uh, assassin cleric. Mm-hmm. I don't remember what it is, what she is. I mean, I think she's a cleric, but she does do a lot of assassins. Yeah, which is she's a druid of, or a cleric of Lolth, so that makes sense. Um, but if you follow the path that lets you romance Minthara, you kill her after you sleep with her. Like it's immediate. Like it's just it's pure on like praying mantis style. Um, there's there's so many really dark and twisted things that this character does and it is almost like this pure distillation of being a bail spawn having this thing in your head the whole time always there this thing that just wants you to murder that's that is what it wants it wants you to murder because that's how you get stronger and you have to keep getting stronger because you eventually you will be the spark that provides this and it's really interesting because supposedly bail is still around now bail is supposedly back so why is there a bail spawn unless bail wanted the one that's the thing that keeps coming to my head it's like and the fact that you go into that 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 deserted temple up front uh that's right near the, the crashed nautiloid that's a temple to jurgle mm-hmm. which means it's a temple to a god who hasn't been a god for thousands of years although yes he's still a god he's not god of anything anymore like because kelimvor who replaced uh he placed merkel who did Kelimvor replace? I think he replaced... No. Uh, no, it is Merkel. Yeah. Kelimvor, who's now kind of like the judge of the dead, who's sort of like... That's sort of what Jurgle mostly did, has Jurgle as his assistant now. Uh, but if Merkel and, and Ball and, and Bale are back, because supposedly uh, Allfather Ao recreated the Tablets of Faith and caused the Second Sundering, who is currently God of the Dead is sort of a mystery. But Kelimvor gets mentioned in Baldur's Gate 3. So one assumes Kelimvor is still there doing what he was doing before. There's also, there's a lot we could go into, but like, oh yeah, I honestly think we're going to have to come back to this. We have to we play more because I'm only about 13% of the way through the, I mean, I've, I've clocked about 25 hours so far and I've, of the current playthrough, but like, it's the thing is the game is very, it's everybody thought it was going to be at standalone because it was so far set in the future, but it's very clearly not. And one of the things that I encourage people to do is if you are playing the game, take your time in act one. There are some things that you do need to worry about time-wise or timed events and things like that, that change the world, but take your time and explore. You can get to so many places like the underdark. You can get to uh, the places in between. Uh, You can find thieves guilds. You can find so many things and so many tiebacks to the previous games. Explore the ruins, explore the wilderness, and if you are playing as the Dark Urge, eh, you can explore that a little bit. Um, and I, it I don't really want to through in later parts of it. In, in Act Three, it, it really comes to like a head, and it's it's amazing. Uh, but all that said, I think that's going to do it for today. Unless there's anything else you want to add, Matt. I mean, there's a lot I would like to add, but I really do think we have to stop at some point, and we're already over an hour, so. We do. Uh, but Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch. Your continued support means that this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, better chance at having your question answered on our podcast 
or the queue and an ads free site experience. Again, if you have questions for the show, uh, be sure to send those into podcast at blizzardwatch.com uh, or you hit us up on one of our Discord channels. You can hit us up on our Q and podcast questions channel. And if you're a Patreon subscriber, you can hit us up in the Patreon only channel where we do tend to look first. Uh, it can be questions about this. It can be questions about anything that is lore related. And uh, we will try to theme them together and group them up. Uh, we do appreciate all the continued support as we continue to produce this podcast uh, and coming up on yet another milestone where we're going to be hitting our 300 soonish. Uh, and uh, if you want to support us and you can't support us monetarily, comment on our stuff, share our, our, our items, throw us a like on, on YouTube. Uh, it, it all that stuff does help. It sounds, it sounds cheesy, but it, it really, really does. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, but with that folks, hold on. Oh, who are you playing? You did not tell them. <laughs> uh, I am playing Tav. I have my own character in my okay, party. Is it, is it the dark urge or just the custom? Just the custom. All and right. the reason I'm doing that is because I want to be a blank canvas and experience the, the, the NPC stories all around. Uh, because you can find all of the, the characters that you can start as, as your character, as NPCs in the world, all of them. And then some, there are hidden, there are hidden companions mm-hmm. in the game. Um, so that's what I'm doing right now because I'm very interested uh, because Shadowheart is really interesting to me because it focuses on Char and I'm really curious about that. Yeah, you don't hear a lot about Char as a, as someone you get that kind of experience with. But yeah, I just wanted to make sure that they got that from you. Oh, of course. I, actually, to be honest, I was curious. <laughs> um, but yeah, with that, folks, we'll see you next week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.